0: On this week's episode of the Limehouse podcast, we have David Runciman and Helen Thompson, professors of Cambridge University and the Talking Politics podcast.
1: Also a sucker for the 1970s, particularly <laughs> <laughs> being the decade in which I was a child and uh, first became aware of what um, politics was.
2: My feeling about democracies is that they, they're good at avoiding problems and making them build up, and then they're good at kind of...
0: Like any normal dysfunctional family.
2: Yeah, or or person even.
0: So, wherever you are, enjoy this week's episode of the Limehouse Podcast, your liberal speakeasy. And remember, sharing is caring, so feel free to do so via all the usual ways SoundCloud, iTunes, and Facebook. Many thanks, and enjoy this week's episode.
2: Yo soy Margarita y estás escuchando
0: Limehouse Podcast. This is Paddy Ashton, and you're listening to the Limehouse Podcast. What a good name that is. Hi, I'm Tom Brake, and this is the Limehouse Podcast. Hello, this is Nick Clegg, and you're listening to the Limehouse Podcast. I hope you enjoy it. Because I'm not persuaded by the case for war. This is what positive politics can do. So, guys, welcome back. It's yeah, it's 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 your it's your liberal, liberal speakies. Easy. It's the Limehouse Podcast. I hope you're doing well. How have you been? I mean, it's it's a beautiful it's a beautiful day out there, isn't it? I mean, I'm I'm bringing this to you on a Friday as opposed to a Thursday because I'm a rule breaker. I thought, hell, why not? Um, it's been quite an eventful week, mainly because of Boris Johnson putting his foot in it. I suppose, with that, whatever that speech was. I suppose we could try and intellectualise it if you like, but you know I'm not that kind of guy, so we'll just call it a complete banana skin, I suppose. But then again, he does that with everything, right? I mean, I, I really struggle to think whether or not he actually spent an awful lot of time sort of putting that that speech together. I mean, 45 minutes. I mean, apparently it went down to the wire. Uh, and and it, do, it did show. I think it was very contradictory. On, on the one hand, you've got this sort of, I don't know, this this guy reaching out to us, by us, I mean us pro-Europeans, and then on the other hand, he's got the same old rhetoric, and yet I, I think it just pissed everyone off, you know, from all sides. So Boris, you're the foreign, you're the foreign secretary, I don't know why you still think this is your bag, I mean, maybe it's, I don't know, an internet, yes, it, it, it's an international issue, yes, but I think we've got this thing called the Brexit Committee, uh, and, um, the, the the whole crazy bunch of them that can deal with that Gove and Fox and Davis. So just stay away from it and and leave us in peace. You're a buffoon. This week's episode, yes, it's a it's a goodie. I travelled up to Cambridge to talk to these two, um and and it's a it's a great conversation. David Runciman and Helen Thompson of uh, Cambridge University. So. It's it's a it's a broad conversation. I, I try and uh, kind of put everything in there. The, the rise of, of Corbyn and the uh, demise of um, oh god, I don't want to say demise of democracy. I think you know the 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 questions around democracy and the and the issues it ra- the, the issues it kind of raises and then doesn't deal with effectively. So we talk about that and um, we talk about their wonderful podcast. Uh, Talking politics, which is a a fantastic show. You know, it's it's very in-depth analysis of of, of subject matter that that you wouldn't always think of. And they are so on their game. These people. These are the these are well, (laughs) freaking David Runciman, head of politics over there at Cambridge University. You you know what I'm saying? You know that's that's pretty good. So so I was really happy. That's pretty good opinion. I was really happy to get uh, David, and then. Helen as well on the show it was a real real find for me and I hope you check out their podcast you can find that on 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 all the usual platforms I'm, I'm sure Acast, uh a and uh you can follow them on Twitter and they're they're um yeah on Facebook of course but yeah Talking Politics check it out so I'm gonna bring you that chat right now I think so I, yeah I hope you have had a good week I hope you've been well it it's been a crazy one uh, did you do you know Lord Adonis and all that BBC bashing? It was it was good fun. I'm not going to lie. You know that he keeps on putting the you know he's really going out of his way on that one. And I, I tweeted out about that how I'm on his side on it. I, th- I think I am. I think I am. I, I, I don't. I think in the interest of balance, yeah, you have to have two sides. But if one of those sides is completely, it's, it's a complete lunatic and speaking absolute lies and, and hatred then I think it's up to the BBC to not only not give that person a voice, but to categorically tear that conversation apart, that particular point of view apart. You know, seventy million Turks coming into the UK, for example. I don't think those people need a platform, do they? Um, and I think that there are a lot of people that would probably side on, the, uh, on, on Andrew Adonis's, um cause here, because frankly, it's lunacy to give these people a voice. It is. And it's it's populism. You know, just, just because it's out there doesn't make it's, it mean it's right. And I think Lord Adonis is absolutely spot on. And I'm well behind him. And if you want to, get involved with that man. He's a legend. He's been on the show before. You can check that show out on this uh, very podcast. And also, I heard him on another fantastic podcast the other day, and that's the Romaniacs podcast. That's well worth checking out. They do some absolutely a class interviews and round table discussions. That's the Romaniacs podcast. So guys, look after yourself. Here's the interview and I'll see you next week. I make more, but... Yeah, I didn't press record. So, um, I pressed record on this, though, so we're just going to start that again. Yeah, yeah, I basically, I forgot to press record, which is better than actually um, doing it... Last time we did it. Yeah, half hour into the interview, and I'm actually going to get this right, because um, we've got all the SD cards in the right place. So, um, I started by asking uh, David and Helen, whose concept, who started the, the Talking Politics podcast... And David, do you want
2: to go again at that? I'll go again. I'll do the short version. Yeah. There was a general election in 2015. Yeah. Uh, podcasts weren't what they are now, but there were enough of them that we thought, okay, Cambridge is full of interesting people talking about politics all the time. Yeah. Why don't we record some of it and put it out there? But it was a university thing. Talking politics is an attempt to make it more of a thing thing yeah <laughs> a thing general thing. thing okay yeah uh, player, without yeah. the something about university branding which is a bit off-putting um, yeah,
0: not really for me I was like this is Cambridge these guys are the dons right yeah. you know they're not, and we do still yeah. trade on that yeah, just yeah. without the logo yeah which is kind of helpful how, how did you get involved Hannah?
1: David asked me to what I remember first of all is actually uh, sitting in a restaurant after with David and a couple of our colleagues after I think it was after Jeff's suicidities Talk, Jeff and Jeremy Maynard's Thucydides talk, and uh, the, the, the topic of UKIP came up. And I said, I gave some opinions about the rise of UKIP, and then David said, "That's why we're doing the podcast." Oh, really? But that's my first memory of. But was
0: it a, an, an effort to sort of combat it a little bit? Or, combat UKIP? Yeah. No, just to no. understand it. Not
2: to celebrate it, okay, but to uh, understand it. And
0: how's your understanding development
2: of, of UKIP? UK, UK? Well, we've, we've in real time got <laughs> it. Watched its <this> annihilation. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I was looking back through, so one of our podcasts during the last, the 2017 election was called The Meaning of UKIP. Okay. Okay. Um, and the, the suggestion was what UKIP had done was turn Labour voters into Tory voters. Yeah. That wasn't true.
0: Okay. But then it was It was partly true.
2: It was partly true, but the thought was, yeah, that yeah. UKIP had existed to play this pivotal role in British politics, which is now done.
0: Yeah, and but the running theme I suppose of two thousand seventeen general election was that everyone got it wrong. Everybody got it wrong. And the gen- and and obviously the referendum. So where have you guys arrived on that and talking politics? And all the things you predicted and, and stuff.
2: So we're we're definitely more wrong... We've been more wrong than right. I think the thing that makes us a little bit different is that we have the full spectrum, and different not just for a podcast, but for a university too. Yeah. full spectrum of opinion. So though there's quite a lot of getting it wrong, there's also quite a lot of people who don't think the same about these things. Yeah. Um, But we were were consistently thrown by Corbyn, Brexit, Trump. The
1: thing that we completely got wrong, I think, to a person was the 2017 general election. Mm -hmm. None of us... But to be fair to David, he did give us these four scenarios. One of which, the first of which we discussed, I remember was what happened. And then
2: after we finished recording, we had a conversation: should we edit that bit out yeah. so we don't look stupid <laughs> talking about the thing that's definitely not going to happen? And luckily, we left it in when it and then yeah. it happened, and then it was like, oh, yeah. but that's
0: half the fun because I absolutely did that on my podcast. I said that essentially, um, yeah, goodbye to Corbyn, goodbye to McDonald. All, they they won't be here when blah 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 blah. And got it massively wrong. I mean, where, I mean, I don't want to hark back too much because I, I guess it has. It's a very you know well-travelled road. What went wrong in the 2017? Gen- well, not went wrong, but what didn't we see? But did did you see this coming at all?
1: Helen? Well, I I think for me that the the issue was that I saw reasons. I could see a scenario in which a, a left Labour Party did as well as it did. But I couldn't see a scenario in which a Corbyn-led Labour Party did as well as it did. And I did a lot of thinking after that election about what had misled me uh, uh, in in making that um, judgment. And I I came to the conclusion that it was primarily generational, that there was a a certain respect in which I didn't understand, actually, people who are my own age. Mm. Uh, And I thought that the baggage that um, Corbyn carried, particularly in relation to the IRA, was going to be more significant weight. It was. I understood why that didn't matter with younger voters yes. and why um, that it, that fact, the, the, the economic position of younger voters made the Conservatives' prospects quite difficult. Yeah. But I, what I didn't understand, I realised, was the fact of how much that history simply didn't matter to a pretty significant swathe of older voters, well, particularly voters of David and my generation.
2: But you yeah. did also, to your credit, think that we were reverting back to a more national two-party politics. I did politics. think that, yeah. You, just, so you for a long time said that one of the consequences of Brexit would yeah. be that we would get more of a UK-wide yeah. sort of 1970 style two-party yeah. policy. My,
1: my judgment was wrong about Corbyn, very particularly. That was, I, I simply thought that he could not be a credible prime minister and yeah. that lots of other people would think he could not be a credible prime minister and that that put a limit on Labour's vote. You could still be right about that.
0: But didn't didn't you? I mean, you, you teach kind of kids, really eighteen, mm. nineteen, twenty year olds. And, oh, I and understood that. You. I
1: understood that. That I mean, I understood very clearly. Not least from the experience of talking to to many of them that um, that the that the IRA issue did not play mm. um, with them. I remember pretty clearly the the students that um, began in two thousand and fifteen, uh, the matriculation dinner, which was October two thousand and fifteen. So just after. Corbyn had been elected, and me pontificating about various things to do with Corbyn's history, and them really not knowing what I was talking about, yeah. and I very patronising. He thought, "Okay, you're soon going to find out what I'm talking about." Yeah, because go I'm going to teach that.
0: you. Yeah. <laughs> so do <did laughs> you? Went wrong. And you? Have you got anything on what Helen just said there about the kind of the eye of what Corbyn's past and how it didn't at, at all affect the students? Did you feel it coming at all? Like his his past wouldn't play a part, and what have you?
2: Um. No. And also, so Cambridge is a unusual town. It's a university town. It's a very pro-Remain town. And I assume that because it was so pro-Remain, Corbyn's half-hearted, ambivalent attitude to Brexit would be bad for him here. Yeah. It had been a Lib Dem seat. Uh, then it flipped to Labour in a very narrow majority in 2015, so it seemed to be one of the real marginal seats. Everything was in play. The students often vote green in this town. It was meant to be kind of one of these places where politics is all over the place. Yeah. And then everyone voted Labour, and yeah. I just didn't see it coming to all. And I had someone from The Guardian. It was one of the five seats that The Guardian picked as a kind of really interesting, funky marginal where anything could happen. <laughs> funky marginal, And uh, I was talking to The Guardian journalist who was here to cover it, and she was saying, I kind of... It's meant to be really marginal, but it seems like people are voting Labour. It's like, no, 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 it's going to be really close, Yeah, five days before. And it was a 12,000, yeah. it went from a 600 to a twelve. it's now a rock-solid, safe Labour seat. Didn't see that coming, I didn't know that every student, should have known it, but every student yeah. pretty much was
1: going to vote. The Labour one thing vote. that I was right about. And was going to vote the, as well. The, yeah. the, I was right about was the Cambridge seat. Mm-hmm. I mean, I said pretty much that after the first weekend that Labour was going to win uh, in Cambridge. And My reason for that was is that I spent time in South London too and there seemed to me a pretty clear contrast between yeah. what was going on in relation to the issues that David was talking about yeah. uh, for centre-left voters uh, in South London, um, though in the end uh, the seat that I was in there also turned in a massive um, Labour majority. But early on it was pretty clear to me amongst the students and amongst some, some colleagues that people who had been seemed disenfranchised to use their own language from Labour under Corbyn were saying... Yeah. Was, were suddenly fine with voting Labour. Yeah, and so the one thing that I I, I can't up again. The one thing that I saw, I think, was is that that Cambridge was not a place that was going to vote Liberal Democrat in the circumstances. Mm. And I think that the fact that these um, is that
0: a tuition fee? That length, these I don't think
1: it, no, I don't think it's that. I think that that, that what happened in some sense um, during the general election was a a significant swathe of of. Labour England, and I mean by that in some sense old Labour England, but not necessarily in contrast to New Labour. But yeah. saw the potential death of the Labour Party and said, "No, we're bringing it back to life again." That's yeah. not that's not part of the politics for this country that we want to be part of, mm. and that in some sense that Corbyn was not really relevant to that. And in some sense, I think he was able to stand as a as a symbol of the fact that the Labour Party was not going to die. Which yeah. was, you know, if you look at it from where we were at the beginning of um, the election campaign, you know, looked like a a real a realistic possibility. Yeah. I mean, after all, various social democrat parties, centre left parties, and other European countries have effectively died in the yeah. last yeah. few years. Not least the French Socialists. Yeah,
0: and then we look at um, sort of I don't know, just I suppose I mean this isn't me shoehorning uh, the, the spotlight that we've got shot on us on on the Guardian stuff with Heseltine, but it is funny now how. Uh, a lot of people are using Corbyn for and against sort of their position on on different levels of uh, I don't know parody. It's like Heseltine saying we would a- we would actually prefer a Corbyn government to Brexit, you know. And I don't know if that's a compliment to Corbyn or an insult. It depends how you read it. What's your take on? Yeah, and I do
2: also know pro Labour Brexiteers who, when you ask them, say we would prefer. Theresa May and a successful Brexit to a Corbyn government. Yeah. So it's, it's, yeah, British politics is is weird now because people (laughs) have to make these choices. Yeah. Yeah. And they're like
0: parties within parties, aren't they? So it's like you've got the two, you know, the two main partners, you know, Labour. We feel like there's this polarisation between the extreme left and and the extreme right, I suppose. But there's also the centre ground that's completely, you know, it has been vacated. I hate saying it, but, you know, what else do you say? It's what everyone's saying, right? But there are, there is the two main, there are two main parties, but there are the different factions that seem to be splitting off, but no one's heading them up, and it just seems to be happening on Twitter. Do you, do you feel like there's, there's going to be a Well, another... the centre ground is now on
2: Twitter. No, yeah. no I don't feel that as no. someone who's not on Twitter. I don't feel that.
0: No, I know but, you're not on Twitter. I tried to find
2: you and I couldn't find you. Yeah, sorry about that. Yeah. Um, Talking Politics is on Twitter.
0: It is on Twitter. That's good. But, I mean, do you guys feel that perhaps there it, there is a multi, uh, I don't know, political sort of awakening happening here that, that
2: simply isn't being recognised? No? No. Do you want that's what you would like to be true?
0: Well, yeah, I yeah, think, I mean, but I also think it yeah. is a, a factor that you have like sort of these um Anna Subri types, yeah. uh, I won't pluralize everyone Ken Clarks, you're Anna Soubrys, you're Ken Clarks,
2: you're Justin Green, you're Justin Greening, freshly disposed of, yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. ready to lead a
0: underground revolution. The, but then you've got the the Liberal Democrats, obviously, where we well, you know where they stand, and then sort
2: of the parts of the Labour Party.
0: there is there
2: there's something happening there isn't there There, so the other thing I kind of have taken from talking about politics every week for the last two years is that um, what people think matters and opinion matters but kind of institutional structures matter more electoral systems matter more yeah it's much harder to change those than people believe you know Trump won not because he was Trump but because he was the Republican candidate yeah Corbyn did well not because he was Corbyn but because he was the Labour candidate. Yeah, all of these politicians who are sort of don't fit Labour, don't fit Tory, haven't got anywhere to go in a first past the post, yeah, two party system. Yeah. George Osborne meant to be the person who kind of represents some of this, and as he tweeted, didn't he, yesterday? He's delighted to see that his people have now re taken over the Conservative government. But yeah. the people that Theresa May promoted mm. were all his acolytes. Um, well, yeah. four or five of them are now in the cabinet mm. because. In the end, power just draws them back into the. Yeah, sorry.
1: It... I think as well that is, is <laughs> you're, looking, you're looking
2: pained, by... no, it's <laughs> fine. There's hope. I just ignore uh, you, Dave. I mean, I think this, this
1: is well-trodden territory as well, including you know the name of your podcast. I yeah, think, is, is that you know, the EU? <laughs> sorry about that. <laughs> the, the, the EU, the EC, it has the capacity. It's had long had the capacity to, to divide the British political parties. And you might make an argument that actually there's less you know, in a party, in, oh, what do you mean by that. Inter, intra, intra, in, intra, intra-party conflict within the parties over the, intra-party,
0: the, what does that mean? It's Conflict
1: within the conservative party and conflict in a, in a conflict within the conservative party, in a conflict within the Labour party. Okay. There was, you know, conceivably more of it in the 1970s, um, than there yes. is, than there is now. Yes. Is, is that, you know, both the principal parties in our politics, are committed to leaving the European Union and to leaving the single market and the customs union. Yeah. Michael Heseltine might want to make sort of put Brexit on one side of it and Jeremy Corbyn on the other side of it. But yeah. actually, if you listen to what Corbyn said about 48 hours ago, is is that a Labour government would still leave the single market and the, and the customs union. So... Yeah.
2: Although I thought not the customs union
1: was that what he was saying. That was today's story. But it's all complete bollocks, isn't it? Because
0: essentially, I don't know the two kind of indivisible. It's like, what Mm. were you talking about here? It's like, oh God's sake, just keep on, keep on clouding our like perception of what you actually mean, Jeremy. Just keep on doing it. It's fine. Sit on the fence, but anyway, sorry, I interrupted. But I think your the thing as well
1: is, is, is that, and this is the interesting question going back to the, you know, the, the general election is, is th- those people who want to remain in the European Union, there is a party for them. Mm. They're not actually disenfranchised. It's called the Liberal Democrats. Yeah, it just happened to be the case that for whatever reason, large numbers of them didn't want to vote for that party yeah. and preferred to vote for a party that wasn't actually different than the government that they were trying to trying to oppose. I think that's a an interesting political. Yeah. Phenomenon in itself. I think it a bit smacks of we want to vote for winning parties, and we don't see the Liberal Democrats yeah. like this. So we'll try and turn the Labour Party into what we want. But you know, that's just political hubris.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No. Exactly. It is interesting. I mean, obviously, a lot of uh, of our podcasts we do tend to trudge over that same old. Why aren't the Liberal Democrats doing well or better, or, or why are they stagnating? Is there anything that historian over here, political historian, is there anything in history to determine like that? This will that will turn around, that will change for the Liberal Democrats. For, for the Liberal centre ground, will it come
2: back into play, do you think? Yeah, I'm, my sense of it is that this is a low point rather than a stage on the road to oblivion. It's, it's quite hard to have two-party, first-past-the-post politics, without a 20% that can often be corralled by a single party. It's fragmented at the moment. If you put together the SNP, the Greens, the Lib Dems, what's left of UKIP, bits and pieces, yeah. there's still a 20%. You know, It was a 30 35%. It's now 20%. It's probably going to bounce around between those two things. So there's definitely an upside for the Liberal Democrats. But yeah. there isn't a... I mean, part of the problem is who's going to do coalition government by choice, again, as the junior partner yeah. in a generation? Mm-hmm. And that's probably good news for the Liberal Democrats in the sense that they can get back to the sort of Charles Kennedy days of um, being the repository of people who don't want to vote for the government. That, <laughs> they don't want to vote, yeah, yeah anti-establishment. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's not so. It's not. I mean, I agree with Helen. There, there is the risk for mainstream social democratic parties of oblivion. Although I think particularly under certain other electoral systems than ours. Whereas for a, a centrist liberal party like the Liberal Democrats, I don't think there's a risk of oblivion. Yeah. There's always going to be, but you know, the best case scenario is to be back in the back at two thousand and five. Yeah, it's almost like there's not going to stop Brexit by being. Yeah, <laughs> Charles Kennedy wouldn't have stopped Brexit any more than.
0: No, no, it's true. Of course, I just think is there an antidote to, for parties that that have uh, a toxic past uh, that can they can shed it and and move on? I just don't. Is there? I mean,
1: well, I think the Liberal Democrats are going to have to get back into the coalition business, else they're going to become you know, risk becoming irrelevant. I mean, it it looks like, if you go back to elections in Britain since 2005, they've produced pretty narrow outcomes. Now, obviously, in one sense, in terms of the majority, that 2005 wasn't, but the electoral system and the state of the constituencies at the time allowed Labour to win a majority, a relatively large majority, on 35% of the vote, but I don't think that's happening again. What we've seen since 2005 is a succession of pretty narrow Elections in terms of their um, outcomes—it's—it's uh, it's in some sense a retrospectively, you know, really quite striking in and in the sense of being unlikely that the Conservatives were able to win the majority that they did in 2015 mm. with about 37% of the vote. Remember at the time people were saying that you know the Conservatives needed to be you know like seven nine percent ahead in the in the forty percent percentage of the popular vote themselves to get a majority it turned out not to be the case but i think that was probably an anomaly so if we are going back to a set of of tight elections uh and you throw in the northern irish question which we've obviously seen come into play in terms of what happened in 2017 there is going to be a need for coalitions yeah in british politics now either the liberal democrats can let the northern irish parties provide that well I think that we'll <laughs> see how long yeah. um, this doesn't or, become contested. Or, or they year. could let the
2: SNP do it. The, yeah, yeah, well, yeah, but yeah, that's exactly. quite
1: difficult. Whilst the SNP, I know it's
2: difficult, but they could.
1: They could. Yeah. So, how do
2: you feel about a Corbyn Lib Dem coalition government?
0: Yeah, I don't really care because, like, <laughs> frank, to, to be frank, like, I, I think Helen's right. I don't think that, that it is about coalition, but it's also, it's a, I mean, there are so many people within the Labour Party I really admire and love and adore. Like so many. Like who? Oh, Owen Smith. Uh Chris Bryant, is it Chris Bryant? Yeah. God. Um Keir Starmer uh oh my god, uh Stella Creasy. Clive Lewis, uh the list goes on. They're all kind of reasonably century kind of people, Clive Lewis, perhaps more on the left, but yeah, I can I totally see that. Why is that so shocking? They hate each other because there is a there's a hatred, not hatred, but a low there's a, a misunderstanding. They've got a lot of common ground. They, perhaps Labour feel like they own the NHS, Liberal Democrats feel like, well, actually they kind of own it to a degree as well, because it was a Liberal, that's probably me pinging. Um, so there there is a common ground, and they've, maybe there's just, you know, like a, there's too much um, football terracy, what do you call that, yeah. tribalism, you know. I d- I, so the
2: thing that shocked me in Cambridge in 2017 was how much of the Labour vote was driven by really visceral loathing of the Liberal Democrats oh, God, and the yeah. Liberal Democrat candidate. It was, it was a really nasty local election, hmm. and it was brutal, wasn't it? it was, the Lib Dems were just being kicked around. Yeah, um, yeah. It's quite hard to get past that. I know it's politics, you can get past anything, but yeah, yeah. It, was, it was brutal. I was Look, shocked I mean, by how you, nice, yeah. you know, well-meaning middle-class Cambridgey people were spitting venom about uh, uh, the nice, well-meaning Lib Dem cancer. But
0: it's football. I think once it's, it's, it's that football yeah, mentality. It's football. Once the full, once the whistle blows, there's all kinds of hell breaks loose. But and once, then afterwards, they all have a
2: drink together in but, the bar. Yeah. Except they don't.
0: and then also, what does it? It only takes a very small thing to change people's perceptions and to change their direction on on particular views, perhaps on 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 the Lib Dems, if it means. Bettering their own situation. If Labour were to somehow better this, if they could come into government with a, you know, with a coalition, they might start sort of like backing down on their hatred of Lib Dems. But anyway, God, sorry, I can't help. It's such a, it's such a juicy topic. Um, I wanted to talk about Trump because you guys, particularly David, um, maybe you haven't, I can't say for yeah. certain have a very end-of-days approach to Trump. Do I? I thought I didn't. (laughs) No, David, you do. Do Do I? It's just a tone of voice. It's... it's, I don't know. Who's the the chap? Talkville or...
2: Talkville. Talkville.
0: Yeah. There are loads and loads of fires going on. Well, Essentially, this is me totally ruining... Yeah, more fires get
2: started, more fires get put out yeah, in but, democracies.
0: And which yeah. fire is going to be the one that burns, us, burns it all down? There's a bit of that,
2: yeah. Yeah. Where
0: do you... Where do you, where you so I don't...
2: I, I honestly don't think that I'm the... I'm not one of the kind of Trump is the death of American democracy. Yeah. I mean, I do find him pretty... upon Scary. Yeah. And I've just read the book, the Michael Wolff book about him. Um, and it is mind-blowing. It's definitely worth reading. It's oh, just, really? Okay. Oh, yeah. It's like you can't get the flavour of it just from the little extracts, you have to just read it all laid out. And one of the weird things about it is that the the behind-the-scenes stuff is shocking, but then he just verbatim prints some of Trump's speeches, like the one he gave to the CIA. Yeah. Four or five pages of it. That's more scary than the... It's in the public domain, but you have to read it written out. Yeah. So, yeah, I have that feeling that this guy is um, hard to fathom. But I don't think... I'm not one of the people who thinks that he's... The beginning of a turn to kind of authoritarian 1930s Dictatory politics Um, I think that he's Mm. um, A kind of The Tocqueville thing is that he's Americans sort of Testing how far far they can Kick their system without falling down The robustness And uh, I don't think it's going to fall down Hmm. And where where are you on this, Helen?
1: I've always been a Trump's a symptom person About uh, about this, I think, in some sense, we spent too much time talking about Donald Trump and too little time trying to understand what Trump represents as a political phenomenon within this particular democracy at this particular historical moment in time now that doesn't mean that I think that this particular moment in time is a kind of end of the worldism kind of thing about where um democracy's um concerned. But I think that one of the things that I find frustrating about the, the general conversation, political conversation, if you like, about Trump is how unpolitical it is, is is that now this gets quite quickly into a problem because it means that you have to take Trump on a certain level seriously. And there's all kinds of reasons why that's a, a problem in itself. <laughs> but I, I still think that we would do better by using political analysis yeah. uh, in order to understand What's going on here rather than think that we're needing some kind of, you know, p- particular new vocabulary generated by almost by Donald Trump himself and the outrage that Donald Trump causes in order to understand him? Yeah. In order to understand him.
0: Yeah. I think it was you David, that said that democracy um, has a wonderful way of moving on and never dealing with the problems yeah. that it actually creates. Yeah. And I really like that. And I have the question on my phone, but I, I'm not, I'm just, mm. I can't be able to go and get it. But essentially it was. How is democracy dealing with the current situation? Because I, I, I think you mentioned that we didn't deal with uh, the financial crisis in 2007
2: really at all. Yes, yeah, so de- my feeling about democracies is that they, they're they good at avoiding problems and letting them build up. And then they're good at kind of...
0: Like any normal dysfunctional family.
2: Yeah, or, or person even. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then sort of finding a way around them Yeah. Um, of keeping going. They, they break them down. Um, so that another, you know, these kind of catchphrases, another sort of Tocquevillian-style catchphrase is they make mountains out of molehills, you know, they blow up, but they also make molehills out of mountains. So they yeah. take these giant problems and they just sort of break them up. They don't sort them out. They just yeah. break them up into dealable little things and then they find a way through them. Yeah. Um, but the risk is that uh, you hit the mountain that you can't do that to. I don't think yeah. Trump is that mountain. There are other things. Yeah,
0: but then what big. Helen was
2: saying is about,
0: you know, the symptom. Is that, is that de- democracy in failing to deal with those... Is 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 Trump then the symptom, and is Brexit the symptom of that?
1: I think Trump and Brexit are, are, are pretty different. I have to say, I don't okay. think that. I, I mean, obviously, that there's some element of a rebellion against an established elite in, in both cases, but I, I think that the the causes of them uh, are fundamentally different. In the sense that I think that the causes of Britain's exit from the European Union are bound up with Britain's membership of the European Union, and I think that the the causes of um, Trump's uh, is to do with um, the nature of the political problems generated by the American economy mm. and the nature of the foreign policy problems that the American governments have struggled to deal with, not least in the Middle East and really set a succession of spectacular failures and then the issues around the corruption of American democratic politics by money yeah. and I think that they are the context in which um, the Trump phenomenon um, has come about now there is also the question of 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 the technological aspect of it in terms of twitter i think you you can't understand what trump was able to do um without seeing the role that twitter played in it not least the fact that i just don't see how any a candidate who spent pretty much no money in any meaningful sense during the republican primaries could have won that contest without twitter
0: That's, that's pretty scary right but what so just to um yeah go back to that I kind of analogy the, the comparison rather between brexit and Trump. How comfortable are you comparing like are you at all comfortable with comparing the two um similarities
2: no, it's, it's, brexit was a high turnout phenomenon. Trump was a low turnout phenomenon that's one of the I think brexit happened because a lot of people who don't normally vote voted. Trump happened because a lot of people who would normally vote Democrat were persuaded not to vote at all. Yeah, so there was Brexit was a kind of expression of a certain kind of enthusiasm for something. Yeah, I think Trump isn't. He's not. You know, he, Trump didn't win as many votes as Mitt Romney. He's not. Mm. He's. I, I feel Trump is more accidental. Yeah. Um, Brexit is more structural. Okay. Um But yeah, I probably see more parallels than Helen does. I think mm. immigration connects them. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think money connects them I think corruption, corruption connects them I think these they're not coping. Totally. I don't think that
1: immigration is a I, I think immigration matters in terms of both of them I, I think that um the issue of immigration and illegal immigration and its relationship to lobbying is a really important part of understanding why Trump was able to win the Republican nomination okay. I mean I just think on immigration in terms of its role in uh, in, in Brexit it has to be tied to the the political impact of the political salience of immigration has to be tied to the nature of britain's membership of the european union in the context of the eurozone crisis yeah and the way in which effectively along with germany britain became an or british economy became an employer of last resort for the eurozone so I, although there is that parallel in terms of the issue immigration the, the 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 if you like the structural cause of that in relation to brexit and in relation to to trump i just think are very different
0: yeah and lies as well do you guys <laughs> not
2: feel that lies played a pretty damn so that's one of the ones where I that um i know so there was an article in the new york times about um donald trump's i think 27 lies that he told in the first presidential debate and i remember reading through them and thinking well these are all sort of stupid crazy shocking things but they're not lies i mean mm. most of them are not lies they're either sort of Nonsense, or their half truths, or their hyperbole, yeah. or their self contradictory. You know, it's just like a whole range of. And I, for a long time, I thought about Trump even before he was elected. I think there's a danger in calling everything a lie. There's a sort of inflation of this, which is yeah. these aren't all lies. Even the 350 million, you know, a lie is a is a is a particular kind of thing. Yeah, um, and politics is full of you know, between lies and truths. There's politics, which is a hundred other different things. And we're not in some uniquely lying environment compared to where we were before. I do think Trump is right at the end of that spectrum and Brexit is somewhere in the middle. Um, But it's partly not because I think Trump is such a liar, but because he just says so many things that you kind of think, how did that come out of your mouth? Which is <laughs> like, which is not, the, the Brexit thing was not that. There weren't yeah. many moments, I remember, in the Brexit campaign where, I remember watching that first presidential debate, I had to turn it off because it was too embarrassing. Yeah. And I didn't feel, unless I missed it, there weren't any particularly massively embarrassing moments in the Brexit thing where you thought, people are talking gibber. I mean, they're talking yeah. like they're, you know, children. Um, yeah. So I, ju- I just don't like it all being called lies. Yeah. That's my... Okay. Um, sorry. No, 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 no. Just, I, mean, just, I, I, I get it, and idea. I get why people, I, and totally, I get why people often feel, and particularly at the moment, feel they've been misled. I mean, yeah. being misled is you know, definitely a big driver of some of the anger about politics. Yeah. But be, even being misled is not the same as being overtly and explicitly lied to. Yeah.
0: No. Fair play. I, I do I do want to talk a little bit more about your podcast because, believe it or not, this believe it or not, this wasn't necessarily an intention to sort of get. Um, our show promoted on your show and vice versa just, just generally. that will just be an accidental byproduct i so, i just never think things just happen and i i know I, wow this is happening okay great um but what what have been because i uh, Obviously, there are people that listen to this show perhaps haven't listened to Talking Politics before. What are your favourite... I mean, I wouldn't say episodes, because yeah. that would be... I don't know if you have a favourite episode, but what are your favourite topics that you talk about mainly on the show? And so, well, Helen,
2: can I, I mean, I, I quite yeah. like... Um, I have no idea of people who listen to it like this, but I quite like the kind of historical... The thing of trying to take the long view hmm. and sort of... Because a lot of politics at the moment is very minute by minute. One of the ones I liked was when we went through all the presidential. This is a very kind of all the presidential inaugural addresses before yes. Trump did his. Yeah. And it's partly because we hadn't. I think most of us hadn't read hardly any of them apart from sort of the most famous one, Lincoln or something. Yeah. And it was this really interesting sort of story, weird story of America. Um, so I I liked that one. Yeah. Um, because Trump's inaugural I found pretty terrifying and strange and freaky. But actually, then when you get the whole sweep of history, it does take takes the edge off. Yeah, and and your favourite
1: Yeah, I think that I mean, I must admit that I'm rather a sucker for the talking about history and historical parallels um, too. I think my favourite one was we spent quite a lot of time on the 1974 general election. It's partly because I'm also a sucker for the 1970s. particularly (laughs) (laughs) being the decade in which I was a child and uh, first became aware of what um, politics was and it also happens to be the first election that I have any mem- any memories yeah. of, but I think I particularly liked it because there was this moment in it I recall where it suddenly dawned on me that there was a comparison to make between uh, the role that Tony Blair was trying to play in the last election and the role that Enoch Powell played in the February 1974 <laughs> yeah, I election. I also enjoyed that yeah. moment, <laughs> and, it, and it literally dawned on me in the middle of uh, as I, I, I was, yeah. I've got one sentence was coming out of my mouth, and suddenly this thought dawned on me, and I liked that.
2: The thought, of the comparisons. Yeah, the thought dawned on me. Yeah. Tony yeah. Blair is the Enoch Powell of our
0: time. Wow, what do you think of that, Tony? Because I know he's a big <laughs> listener, big fan. And, but um, So obviously, um, behind your beautiful voices, and I have to say your voices are, you've accidentally got the, some of the best voices on, on the show. Sorry, on podcasting, uh, on the podcasting sphere, or whatever it's called, planet. Behind the voices, what, when did you, David? When did you start in politics? When was it? Um, obviously, 174.
2: Well, you know, was
0: um and yourself
2: with similar generation. What being interested in politics? Yeah. I was never super interested in politics. Um, so the, the Thatcher years were uh, your bread and butter, kind of. Um, but being a student in the Thatcher years was a bit. It's a bit like yeah. now, it's all quite sort of yeah. tribally and football-y and shouty. Um, yeah. uh, and then, and so I, I did study history and as an academic was a historian and then came into politics sort of later on yeah. teaching politics. Um, I, I found the Blair years quite depressing. Yeah, <laughs> just try to go through it in my head. It's yeah. like sort of, no, it's just interesting uh, because you know your head. I don't think, I, but I'm, I don't think right. myself as a particularly political person. Okay. I don't have very strong political views. I'm very interested in it, but I'm interested in it because I'm interested in history, history and I'm interested yeah. in ideas. So I'm interested in philosophy as well. So I've yeah. always been interested in sort of. Comparison. I've always been interested in what democracy is. I've always found democracy a really interesting phenomenon. It's yeah. both how successful it is and how fragile it is, and how weird it is, and how. What's your favourite? Surprising, it is what's, what's my favourite f- democracy? You, yeah,
0: yeah. What, what's your favourite democracy, David? Here <laughs> um, on Fox News with David in from uh, Cambridge uh, University. Uh, yeah, I can't that question. You can't answer. But what, what's my favourite democracy? No, you're going to ask me something else. What's, what's your favourite period for, uh, from from de- of any democratic sort of? Um, I don't know. <laughs> what's, your what's, your, what's
2: your? I don't know. Do you like? I do. I also. I, so I've always like. I suppose lots of people who don't live there. Found America fascinating, compelling. Um, yeah, found American. Po- I've always found American politics, presidential politics, really interesting. Yeah, um, what's my favourite period? What's your favourite period?
1: Well, I got interested, I think, in American politics by being, by basically, which is pretty cliched for the time when it was getting interested in the nineteen sixties. Okay. So I was interested in Kennedy and civil rights and. Vietnam protests. You're also quite
2: interested in Watergate, let's put that out there.
1: I am interested in Watergate. That came a little bit that came a little bit later. But basically I and I still have quite a strong taste for American politics from basically like 1961 to the is middle, it cause it's middle of
0: the 1970s. It is sexier than British politics. Let's be honest. Everything I think that it is dramatic.
1: Is I mean, I, I mean, go. You know, when I said I was, you know, interested as a child in politics, I was, but in the sense of it as drama, I realised, you know. Yeah. Like in, okay. in, but in, I'm the in, same. In I retros- think that's absolutely what it is. And I became interested in a substantive sense in the 1980s under Thatcher. You kind of, in some sense, if you're a student, and Thatcher's Britain. You didn't have much choice in some sense, but to engage with. It in a partisan sense, yeah, or we had to completely withdraw from it. But I am attracted to the drama of it, and
2: yeah, and I would say I'm attracted to the sport of it. I mean, yeah. they're similar, but it's that thing I do like you, it's, it can get too tribal, yeah. But that thing that sport gives you of these just kind of moments where you go, oh, wow,
0: you see, this is quite cool because in my mind, you know, I think a lot of maybe not a lot of people, but some people might think that, Oh, to be interested in politics, you know, you're after the really you you've got to be into the really grey policies. Yeah. The policies are grey, boring black and white issues and what not issues but, you know, the mon- the, the mundane mm. side of it. But in actual fact to hear you guys say that no nah, actually the kind of the rock and roll more dramatic side of it is what really got me into
1: yeah. it. I think that and it goes back to the point that David made, I think the point in which I was least interested in it was probably the Blair years. Certainly in, in, in British politics. I think that I've got reinterested in British politics at some point since 2008, I'm not quite sure when I can put a, a date on that, but I, I think yeah. in some sense I kind of
2: what happened s- in the blaze, switched there, out.
1: There was this weird period from yeah.
2: sort of the mid-90s to, I know it's punctuated by nine eleven, which mm. changed yeah. a lot, but from the mid-90s to 2007-8 where, like a lot of things, politics just got a bit sort of um,
1: thinned out, didn't it? it was there seemed to be a little contest I think the one thing that the drama got I think we both got interested in Iraq as I recall and I remember at one point one of our students complaining about saying that can you you guys in politics please ask us to think about something other than Iraq well, because there's
0: just nothing. <laughs> so that I, I do remember
2: I started teaching here around the turn of the millennium, <laughs> yeah, the millennium. <laughs> which is not as long ago as it sounds. Yeah. But the 2001 general election, yeah. the world's most boring mm. election ever, the one where Blair beat William Hague, where yeah. the result was the same. It was postponed by Foot and Mouth, and they might not, as well, not have bothered. You know, it was. Yeah. And our first year politics students had to sit their exam the morning after the election night. So they sat up all night, and they thought we're studying politics, got to show we're really aware and really sort of like know what's going on. Yeah. So we'll, we'll sit up all night and watch this election, and we'll write about it in our exams. And I really felt for them because there was nothing to say. There yeah. was just nothing to yeah. say. Blair had won again. I think that what four seats difference or something. The only
1: thing you can see in retrospect that was significant was was that the turnout fell in the way in did. And, and it did, so they all wrote essays about apathy. I remember it.
2: Everyone wrote, thought, the only thing that we can say about this is yeah. that people are becoming really apathetic about politics, which yeah. had, a, they had a point, but there's not a lot you can say yeah. beyond that. But that's the system that we yeah. live in. I mean, but, so but that was a. I mean, yeah. But I
1: think in retrospect, it was the beginning of disaffection of part of the Labour working class vote. And yeah. it manifested itself as abstention in 2001. Mm. And it's part of the story... In some sense, perhaps more than a. Report. You'd have to have been a really good student to have spotted yeah, that within I twelve hours. Those <laughs> ones got good marks. I'm not claiming that I that I did that I did, it, that, that I did it at the time, um, but I, I think that I mean that Blair was in a position where, or the new Lab, new Labour government was in a position where it had no significant mm. opposition. I mean. In some sense, Thatcher had no significant opposition either, mean, Neil Kinnock was never really a, a credible prime minister, but never felt in the 80s like there wasn't an opposition. Yeah. Whereas it felt in the blaze. But also the 80s so had wasn't. the whole
2: STP drama. I mean, apart from anything else, the STP was a really... It's a good story. Yeah. I mean, it's been made into plays and didn't stuff It has him. indeed, yeah. Um, the which, we, which, again, the, the, that period, that Blair period mm-hmm. didn't have that. It was just mm-hmm. like there was Blair and then he was facing... I mean, I know there was the... Charlie Kennedy Lib Dems but it mm. wasn't the same thing it wasn't this idea that people were having to make these really big decisions about do I belong here or do I belong here can I yeah. risk blowing this thing up in order to try and create this it was just
0: yeah
2: yeah but I mean so,
0: so in, in terms it's got
2: of it's got a lot that, more interesting
0: since well that's what you guys must be able to see Loving it. I mean, without yes. uh, what well, I know, I, we're both we're all podcasters here. We're all podcasters here. It's a good time um, for political podcasting. It, it is. It's like an energy that you would ask you Ed Miliband. We're all Go, reaping yeah. the reward. But um, I just I don't know. There's something there's there's something around every and I, what I like about your your show in particular is that it is the long view. I do have I do find I'm I'm pretty dyslexic. I have to stop and rewind. Stop and rewind. Stop and rewind a lot because I love it, and also because I want to take it in. And also, you can get a, a good reference point. So you know, you pick up another. You know, you, you guys obviously part of the London is it Literature Book Festival or something? The London Review of Books. London Review yeah, of Books. and sort of
2: sponsors us. Yeah, yeah should you should t- probably mention. Them. Yeah, exactly.
0: And 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 you do. I think it was before recess. You guys uh, suggested books for people to read. Yeah. So it is. It, it's. It's cool. It's a great show, and I love it. And I well, mean, it's very and what's your good feedback? What's your feedback from your uh, from your? No, I think
2: people do. You know, it's hard to tell, but I think. I mean, it's partly it's just about podcasting. There clearly is this appetite for a slightly different kind of conversation, which isn't the BBC, which isn't journalism, which isn't necessarily yeah. so partisan. We do really try hard not to be not to be tribal. Yeah, um, and the conversations are pretty unedited and they are real conversations people. yeah but it's not just it's partly that's what makes people like podcasts I think yeah um, but people seem to like it
1: yeah I must admit I mean it's just, it's, in some sense I find it somewhat strange phenomenon I'm not saying you know, what I dislike necessarily but that being so famous now <laughs> in this in this um, in this you know increasingly tribal age of politics and the fact that if we have a brand it is that that isn't what we do Logically, you would say, Well, what's the space for this podcast? Yeah, in the kind of febrile political atmosphere in which we live, and I must admit it still to some extent mystifies me.
2: But I think it is partly that thing of a little time out from the I mean, it's meant to convey a sense if you listen to it a sort of 45 minute conversation, yeah, that it is a little bit taking a step out or back, yeah, or absolutely, from the three minute or the contentious or the John Humphreys or whatever it is. Yeah. It's um, but it's facts.
0: Right. I mean, that's the way I feel about your show anyway, is it it is fundamentally... Um, wow, these guys
2: know their shit. It's not lies. <laughs> is it? There, <laughs> there is no I lies. I don't want to claim it's facts. That's probably too far <laughs> yeah, the other end of the spectrum. But, you um, know, but you, on the spectrum that runs from facts to lies, we would try and be nearer the facts. Sorry, to you, lies.
0: Helen, what's your title at, at the university?
1: I'm Professor of Political Economy.
0: And your title? Professor of Politics. Yeah. So the, the that's Cambridge University. It's like, those are both lies.
2: <laughs> yeah, <those> are both <laughs> yeah. They're both lying <laughs> to us. Um, I
1: mean, I think that one of the things, so though, I think that it has got going for it. Um, talking politics is is that it doesn 't sound like you, like what you would expect Cambridge University necessarily to to put out at least according to uh, in 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 light of what people 's expectations of what Cambridge might yeah. be or indeed what academic political science um might yeah we be.
2: did try not to sound like academics yeah. so i don 't know if we succeed, but you know there is that sort of academic view of politics which is the really take all the drama out, take the sport out, and mm. sort of make it as dry as possible. Um, and also that thing I think that bugs both of us, that academics do that and then would want to claim that therefore they're being non partisan and yeah. actually often they're the most partisan people of all. Yeah. Um, we know a lot of people in our business who think that they're these kind of neutral eye of God arbiters and actually they're more tribal than anyone. Yeah. And we try not to do that. Or at least we try and be more honest about where it is. You know, you and Chris Bickerton and others and Chris Brooke who's on it, you, you have different views and we try and just Make it clear that you yeah. can be an expert and see it completely differently.
0: Yeah, no, and that's what I love about it. I think that's that there is a once you allow vulnerability to be there, to, you know, to expose yourself, and you, to, especially to people like myself, who have absolutely no uh, qualification whatsoever, that you know, that sort of trying to educate themselves, it's great.
2: You know, the other thing academics can do is because the way academics normally communicate is they write these sort academic pieces of writing that appear 12 months after they've written them and then are read by a few people. We get it wrong a lot and you, we can't hide away from getting it wrong because it's week on week on week. Whereas yeah. actually if you're doing it on the rhythm of academic life, you can get it wrong and no one notices.
1: I, mean, I think the good thing in this respect for us is it also forces into considerable self-reflection about when we do get it wrong. Because yeah. if you've got to you know, you say something that turns out to be absolute nonsense and then you're going to be back the next week or mm. when in a month, however long it takes to it turns out to be absolute nonsense, then it's yeah. good the idea. If you publish it in the Journal of Absolute yeah. Nonsense
2: and no one reads it, it's fine. It's a really yeah, good idea exactly. to give yourself... <laughs> Just keep doing that. Yeah, but, yeah. and you yeah. become Professor of Politics yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: So I think that it's made me think harder about <laughs> politics, the fact that I have, you know, said things that turn out, as I say, to be absolute nonsense. It's also,
2: I mean, don't you find it fun doing podcasting? Yeah, it's great. It's fun, isn't it? It's kind of... Because there's a freedom to it because it's not yeah the BBC or whatever or or a newspaper. It it is what it is. It just uh, sort of evolves. I'd like one of you guys
0: to take a a student or two to Brussels and just talk, talk to some guys out there or in, like, The Hague or whatever and just... I'd like you to do a road
2: trip. Do you want to do a road it trip? It would be so well, we are we're playing cool. to we're planning to head north. Mm. Yeah. You Near know, the north of England. North
0: <laughs> The north. Good girl. North of the wall. Yeah, no, it's a good um, idea.
2: But yeah, we should yeah. I mean the the I know, I've noticed that the successful ones, they all go on the road after a while, don't they? Yeah. To play Pod Save America <laughs> is now just more or less a kind of Rock tour. Oh,
0: God. I just wish I had the money and time to do that. I can't. Gardening, gardening,
2: gardening. (laughs) Anyway, look,
0: I'm going to say goodbye to you guys because, yeah, um, you've probably got lives, I'm guessing, right? Or jobs. Yeah. Lives, jobs. Those those lying jobs. What what are are you going to do? Right, You're just sitting in your cafeteria, yeah? Yeah, just tour. That that is our job, yeah. Yeah, that's what my job is. Mm -hmm. Um, Anyway. You've got a
2: job. You're doing actual gardening.
0: I sit in people's gardens and drink tea and and stroke (laughs) my two beautiful dogs. Um, okay right um, Helen would you like to say goodbye to the lovely listeners <laughs> it's
1: been a it, it's, well, what do you want to say it's oh. been a pleasure to talk to you <laughs> it's been emotional yeah no we don't use I mean I, I'm not used to asking questions about um, answering Answer. questions, questions if you see what I mean yeah yeah this is, this is kind of like okay what does it feel like to talk about politics and actually it is interesting trying to think about that because it's not really it is both pleasurable and it allows you to learn things but it's also I would say quite difficult
0: Yeah, yeah, no, no, it is. And David, would you like to say goodbye? Actually, a final thought there, actually, because Helen did a lovely job there. So, (laughs) (laughs) how do you feel emotionally? Emotionally, I feel. um, You feel exposed.
2: I feel level. Yeah, you feel level. Great.
0: Cool. Then just say goodbye and piss
2: off. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Goodbye, and we'll promote this podcast on our podcast, because that's how the podcast economy works. It yeah. is a sharing economy. It is a sharing we've economy. We've just learned, though, from John, what that really is. No, we've means. just been discussing the sharing economy on our podcast. Oh, wonderful. There is a danger these podcasts eat themselves. Oh, yeah. we could We could talk about what we talked about on yours, and you talked about on ours. And it's like this staring into the abyss, and the, abyss was, the podcasting abyss will stare back. Yeah. All You're all recording done. yours around our table, so yeah. which podcast is it?
0: <laughs> well, exactly. <laughs> oh, my God. Sorry, I need to have a little think about that. I'm I'm sweating now. I need a beer. Any good pubs in Cambridge? (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) we'll go. Goodbye, everyone.